do want to, uh, Wednesday night we're having, we're back on track with Wednesday night, uh, church. And you can come if you want. We want you to come. We're also going to be doing it online. But it's going to be our round table again. And we're going to be just talking about fasting. And we're going to have people that are going to be talking about some of the things they've dealt with and some of their past experience with fasting. And it's very important that, you know, sometimes we think of, you know, I told you the little story about Mahesh Shavada down in Charlotte where he was on a 40-day fast and gone like 10 or 20 days, whatever it was. And he happened to walk through his kitchen, saw a bag of potato chips and ripped down the bag, opened, ate the whole bag. But you know what he did? He didn't say, I'm done. No, he just said, tomorrow I start a new day. So, uh, you know, there are struggles when we start denying our bodies, right? Anybody ever experienced that before? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I also want to tell you that I did create last night, and Pastor Zach, you might have to go clean it up a little bit, uh, a Facebook page called uh, Impact 40 Days of Prayer and Fasting. And it's, this is not for political opinions, okay? I don't want to see any pro-Trump, pro, uh, what's the other, Biden. I don't want to see any of this. Or, or anti-anti. I don't want to say that's not what this is for. This is all about what you are receiving from God during this time. But it's also about if you're struggling, maybe, you know, you say, well, I've struggled, I'm three days and I'm just dying, you know. Put it on there. It's only for people that are involved in the fast. So, and so we'll, if anybody comes in, you know, from the outside and tries to do anything to it, we'll just block them, right? But we, but it's really a, a page to encourage you. Now, if you're, if you're fasting Facebook, you know, so you have a little issue there. But I want you to fast food, okay? Not fast food, but fast food, okay? So uh, I, I think I sent it out to everyone, but if you didn't get it, that's okay. Let me know that you didn't get it because I sent it to, I think, everyone in the church that I have your, your Facebook address for. But um, I just thought it might be good just to kind of encourage and keep it, you know, on track and and uh, I'm just so excited about this fast. Is, is anybody else ex- is as excited as I am? Yes, yes. I just, you know, I'm expecting to see great, great things. I'm expecting to see some great personal things. I have a few little personal requests to the Lord. I was just kind of telling him about giving my laundry list coming up Union Street today, coming to church. God, I want to see this, this, this happen. And you know what? He said, okay, okay. God doesn't withhold anything from us, does he, if we walk uprightly before him. And I'm telling you, if we're trying, God tries twice as much back. Amen? So uh, I'm just really excited about that time of fasting and prayer. And we probably will be increasing. Uh, I haven't really gotten the, the word yet on that, but I imagine we're probably going to be adding at least, I know we're going to be adding some additional prayer. I can't say it's going to be a routine. We might shift some things around. But also remember September 26th. That's the day we, we do. We've got a banner going up this week, but... But we are, we are hosting the simulcast from Washington, D.C. here, 9 to 9 on September 26th, National and Global Day of Prayer and Fasting. It's going to be a powerful time. And come and stay for 12 hours if you want. Just drop in, drop out, drop in, drop out. That's okay. But just be a part. We just want, we just want to be a part of what's going on in our, with those godly people who are seeking God for our nation. And, um, Terry, he said it so well, but don't make this political. If we do, we've lost, we, we've been duped by the enemy. It's about light and darkness. That's what it's about. And uh, so we, we just want to hear God's voice, don't we? I'm expecting you guys to hear some incredible things during the fast because I'm expecting to hear some incredible things, incredible things. I'm expecting God to shift things in our life. I'm expecting just some just some thoughts and desires that we have. I'm expecting to see that. But you know what happens when we line ourselves up with God? I mean, you can't go wrong, can you? You can't miss it. 
He'll open up. We've seen him open doors and close doors. We've seen him open doors that were, Debbie, you're looking for, he's going to blow up a door for you one day. This, you're going to say, but he's got, sometimes he has to move this person to get ready for you, you know. So so uh, back in March, I think it was, the Lord spoke to me as I was awakening one day, and I, I told you this, but he said, don't push through the divine delays of life. Don't push through the divine delays. Because sometimes God's delaying things because he's working things out. You know, he's not always on our timing, is he? He's not, and you know, I wish he was sometimes, but sometimes in hindsight I see that it was a wonderful thing that he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, God, you didn't answer that prayer. And so uh, God is so good. He, he, you know, I just keep saying that. He is so wonderful. So I've told you for many years, my life book in the Old Testament is the book of Nehemiah. And every time it just seems like he keeps taking me back into that book and back into that book. I love the book. I, in June, I ministered out of Nehemiah's warfare model. And, uh, but he sent me back, and I'm seeing some things a little differently, you know, in this time that I have seen in the past. It's a powerful book. You know, the name Nehemiah means God has comforted. Not God will comfort, but God has comforted. So how many has God comforted in here? Yes. He's going to continue to comfort you. God is your comfort. Who do we go to? This is how people get in trouble. They run to everything but God to get comfort. They run to food. They run to drugs. They run to alcohol. They run to porn. They run to whatever, whatever it might be, buying, selling, whatever it might be. Well, God says, I want you to come to me for your comfort. And that's what, you know, the part of this fast is all about is, you know, fasting in the, in the Old Testament was not just doing without a bologna sandwich in, in the evening. Fasting there was eliminating food, but it was also eliminating, disconnecting from life to be fully absorbed into God. And that's what I want us to do. I mean, you know, I say it all the time. Don't just fast a meal. If you don't pray, you're just dieting, right? You can do that anytime. But we really want to have a just a, a purposeful uh, disconnect from the world. And as much as we can, I mean, we have to live and make a living. We understand. Just, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be reasonable. But, but you know what you can do. Some people can do more than other people can do. But that's okay. God knows. So anyway, the book of Nehemiah, and I love this, and as I was kind of felt pushed back into this again, I, you know, I was kind of thinking, well, you know, okay, God, I've, I've taught out of Nehemiah so many times, and um, I could probably spend a year teaching out of the book of Nehemiah. so powerful. But the struggles that Nehemiah faced are pretty much the same struggles that you and I face today. You think about it. You know, God called us as a church and you as individuals for such a time as this. We've heard that so many times, right? That comes right out of the book of Esther. But also God called Nehemiah for such a time as this. And if you think about you know, the temple had been built for 70 plus years, and still there were no walls around Jerusalem. And I, you know, I never really thought about it until this week. And I, and I thought, well, God, why didn't you call a priest or a prophet? He called a cupbearer. Now, that was a fairly, you know, dignified position. I mean, he was a cupbearer to the king. But you're thinking, God, if you want to do some great big thing, why don't you call somebody that's got filling up the coliseums with people? <laughs> you know, I remember when I, he, I knew that I was called to pastor, I said, God, you're calling the least likely. And he said, that's who I'm using in this last time. That's who I'm using in this last day, the least likely. Those who aren't out looking for a name, not, not out looking to sell a book or whatever. But he's using those people that will humble themselves before God and know without him they can do nothing. And that's where we have to be as, as people. But Nehemiah was was a cupbearer, and but his position in the king's court allowed him to have a certain amount of political expertise as well as a knowledge on how to rebuild and how to do things you know, within the within the temple. So it's not always the career clergy that God calls for such a time as this. 
Actually, I think in this day we're in, it is not the career clergy. More than 98% of the people who are believers never stand behind a pulpit. But yet we think, well, I'm called to ministry. What does that mean? I've got to stand behind a pulpit and preach. No, that's not what that means. You know, it's, we're, we're called to equip the saints to go out and do the work of ministry. How many more, think about the number of people that's in here today. How many more can you reach than I can reach? You know, just look at yourself. Just if you, if you average on the influence of five people a week in your life, just multiply all this crowd by five. That we're socially distancing, by the way. Okay. Seriously. So we, we need, we need to be, we need to be the ecclesia, don't we? We need to be that influence in the world. We are the only thing that can overcome the evil that's in the world through the blood of Jesus in our life. So, but Nehemiah had a heart for God. Nehemiah had a heart for God. And see, that's who God's looking for. He's, he doesn't care about your gifts and talents. A lot of people have gifts and talents. He's looking for a heart for God. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? That means we think like Christ thinks. We believe what he believes. We love what he loves and we hate what he hates. And you might think, well, God doesn't hate anything. God very clearly in the scripture says he hates something. Let me just give you seven things he says he hates. See if these sound familiar, okay? He says six evils God truly hates and a seventh he detests, which means it's an abomination. Let me tell you what the word hate means in the Hebrew. You think, well, God can't hate because he's all love. Now, this is what hate means, to be, una- to be unable or unwilling to put up with something. To be unable, God is not able to put up with these things that he hates. The first thing he hates is pride. Someone who considers themselves superior to others. He says, I won't put up with that. Don't we live in a culture that's just, I mean, we just consume with self-focus and self-pride? Look at me, you know, with Facebook, I got to do this, I got to do that. You know, I have lunch somewhere, I got to put it up on Facebook so everybody will know. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's what's in their heart, right? So pride is the first thing. This is the second thing, spreading lies and rumors. Is any of that going on today? I heard some laughs. Yeah, Spreading lies and rumors. It's so bad we don't even know, we don't know the truth from a lie anymore if we're watching anything on TV. The third thing is spilling of innocent blood. Is that going on today? 62 million strong. I saw something that was very awakening yesterday on on computer. It showed a picture of a baby and it said, this baby is five minutes old or something. It said, six minutes ago he could have been murdered legally. And it was a beautiful picture of this baby boy, I believe. Beautiful picture, strapping, you know, strong. Five minutes old, but six minutes ago, he could have been legally murdered. That'll put things into perspective. How about this? Plotting evil in your heart towards someone else. Do we see that going on today? Gloating over, gloating over doing what's wrong. Boasting about evil. The immorality, the perversion. Everything is just, you know, there's no shame anymore. How about this? Spouting lies and false testimony. Standing before a court and lying. Do we see this going on in our nation? Do you think the Bible's taking on a whole different character in the days that we're living in? 
And this is the thing God said. He says, I hate those things, but he says, this is absolutely detestable. Someone who stirs up strife between friends. That word detestable means an abomination. It's the same word he used in Leviticus 18.2 when he talked about homosexuality. He says it's an abomination. It's detestable. The same word. So if anybody wants to tell you that it's acceptable, Leviticus 18.22. So we, we, have to, we are supposed to have the mind of Christ, but we have a nation that's consumed with violence, the shedding of blood, lies, false accusations, immorality, perversions. But what is God's heart concerning all this? He says, I hate these things. I'm unwilling and I refuse to deal with these, not deal with them, but accept them. I refuse to do, deal with it. But I want to ask us, do we really care? Let's bring it home a little bit. What about in our own families? Do we see these things going on in our own families? Most of us could shake our head, yes. Some of them, maybe not all of them, but some of them. Lori's eyes are about this big. <laughs> Do we care enough? Do we really care? Do we spend time praying and seeking God for those family members? You know, it's really all about heaven or hell in this day that we're living in. We were saying, I think, was it last night in prayer, we were saying, uh, the thought had come to me, what if everybody started praying for everybody we don't like, that God would convict them and they would become in love with Jesus? Wouldn't that be wonderful? We wouldn't care what party they were. (laughs) We wouldn't care what denomination they were. We just want everybody to love Jesus. And I have a feeling some of our thinking might line up if we begin to think like Jesus thinks and love what he loves and hate what he hates, right? And and so we know that God is calling the churches around the world, actually. We have friends in other nations, and God is calling their churches to repent, just like he's calling our churches to repent. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, we we talk about all the time. He tells us to repent, to seek his face. He says, I'll heal your land. Don't we need that? Joel 2, 12 and 13, he says, turn to me while there's still time. See, we, we think, we're, we just think, it's, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Well, let me tell you, that's, read the Bible. Read the Bible. I believe it's going to be okay because the church is praying like crazy and there's a lot of churches praying. I believe it's going to be okay. But we don't want to get slack, do we? We do not want to get slack. Give me your hearts, come with fasting and weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. In other words, don't look like you're all tore up about it. Get tore up about it, right? What was that Tiffany used to say? Tore up from the floor up or something? Tore, tore up from the floor up, I think she said. I never did understand what that meant, but that's what she used to say. Return to God with the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He's eager to relent and not punish. See, God doesn't want to punish a nation. He doesn't want to punish a family. But when we look at the situations that we have in life, 99.999% of them, I believe, is simply because we didn't do the thing that we should have done that was consistent with the Word of God. There are, there are some things that happen. Sometimes people innocently get sick. We can't do anything. But, but it was the sins that in the environment that caused, you know, all this stuff that going. we know where sickness came from. We know a baby that's murdered in the womb. He has nothing to do with that or she. So there are times when it's out of, out of a person's hand. But let me tell you, look at some of the things you've dealt with. Maybe you're even dealing with now. How much it is simply because you were out of fellowship with the Word of God or out of step with the Word of God? And we have to be honest with ourselves. But our nation has become a city without walls. 
just like Jerusalem was a city without walls. Walls of righteousness in our nation have been torn down. They've been broken down. And I believe much of our nation is in a spiritual rubble. I really believe our nation's in a spiritual rubble. And why do I say that? Let me just give you some statistics. This came out of George Barna. And this is just a couple. He said, Americans are losing faith in all aspects of their Christian heritage and commitment. During the past decade alone, there's been a huge decline in the proportion of people who claim to be deeply spiritual, down 21 points. In the last decades, there's been down 21 points or 21% of the people that have, that have, a, have declined spiritually in their life. Well, what did I read? 18 to 24, 60-something percent of the kids from 18 to 24 are leaving the church. Well, then this might explain some of it. 11, excuse me, 16% say they, their religious faith is very important in their life. That's down 16 points. They say their religious faith is very important in their life. So we can say our faith is important, but how do we know if it is? For walking in obedience, Right? I believe in the church. Why are you showing up? I believe in forgiveness. Why are you forgiving? I believe in loving people, but are you loving? I believe in making Jesus Lord of your life. Well, but there's other ways to get to heaven. I prefer to believe what Oprah says. See, see, we, 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 you know, we slip and we, we start falling back when we start listening to lies. Uh, another 16 points down who say, excuse me, another 12 points down who claim that they have made a personal commitment to Jesus 12 points less than a decade ago, 12% less. They say they have made a personal commitment to Jesus. That's called being born again. There's a difference between coming to church and being born again, right? A big difference. Fewer than one in five adults believe that absolute moral truth exists and is defined in the Bible. So if we don't have a standard to live by, how do we make a decision on what's right or wrong? People do what seems right in their own hearts. I gave you a scripture in Leviticus 18. You know, God, that's what God says about it. Do we believe that's right or do we believe that's wrong? Or God's just irrelevant for today. No, the word of God is forever, forever established. The unchurched population is growing like cancer, rising by 11 points in 10 years, now approaching half of the adult public. Most unchurched adults consider themselves to be Christian and spiritually inclined, but one in five is born again. And I had someone tell me, and, and I do believe this to an extent, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I believe that. But I'm telling you, if you really love God, you're going to want to be with God's people. I believe that. If I love my family, I want to be with my family, right? I can't say I'm a part of my family, but I don't want you coming around. <laughs> you know, I don't want to come around you, but I love you. We need each other. And the Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and especially in this day that we're in. We need the faith and we need the, the strength of each other. Only one out of three, 33%, believe the Bible is totally accurate. The nation's moral and morals and values are a mess. The majority argues that cohabitation, sexual fantasy, sex outside of marriage, giving birth outside of marriage, divorce, doctor-assisted suicide, homosexual relations, and same-sex marriage are morally acceptable endeavors. I just read that 61% of single Christians think it's okay to have sex before marriage. That say they're Christians. Now, if we, another statistic, which I gave maybe a year ago, I think it was 77, 78% of the people in this country say they're believers, but when you put the Bible standard to them, it's actually less than 7%. Truly born again. Does this make anybody uncomfortable? It should, shouldn't it? 
Major social institutions no longer hold the confidence of Americans. Confidence in churches has plummeted by 11 percentage points in the last decade. I think it's more than that. This was a 2016 or 17 stat. But see, what he's not mentioning is the 60-plus million abortions that's been legalized. He's not mentioning the laws. We just saw in California that there's a law being put before, what, is it a state law or San Francisco City to make uh, pedophilia and sex with children legal. So he didn't mention that. He didn't mention divorce and sex trafficking and violence and crime in our nation. And this is not mentioned in our own nations of churches that are being shut down and pastors being threatened to, by ha- for having church. Can anybody say that we're in a spiritual you know, rubble here in our nation? Our walls of righteousness have truly fallen and God's people are called like modern day Nehemiahs to rebuild the wall. We're called to rebuild the wall. I believe the nation that once stood as an incredible beacon of hope for the world is getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. We have friends that are praying for us like we used to pray for them and other nations. See, and, and as Terry said, it's not, it's not about who gets elected, a person gets elected. It's about values being returned to our nation. It's about eliminating laws that want to murder and, and these laws of perversion. That's what it's all about. Don't, I keep saying it, don't fall into this trap by the enemy because that brings division. It brings division. Psalm 9, 7 says, any nation that turns their back on God will be destroyed. Do you think God was just kidding about that? Any nation that turns, how how does a nation, well, we've got churches in our nation. It's who's in leadership. See, the leadership determines what goes on in a nation. It's who's in authority. Just like in a church, whoever's in authority controls the anointing that flows through the church. If we've got ungodly people in leadership, we're going to have ungodly bodies. If we ungodly people in our cities and in our government, we're going to have ungodly laws passed. We need to be praying for godly people everywhere. And I believe the eternal destiny of many people are at stake and the gospel cannot be quieted. We've got to go out with the good news of the gospel. We've got to tell people that Jesus is the only way. He is the hope of the world. That's the message that we have. We've got to get, we've got to pull people out of the very precipice of hell and get them back into where God has destined them to be. So we look at Nehemiah and what lessons can we learn? And let's just look at verse one through four. Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4. And I told you his name means God has comforted. It says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the late autumn in the, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So we have to go back to the book of Ezra and see where all these, there was like 42,000 plus servants that left bondage and went to Jerusalem when they had the opportunity. Now that's something to think about too. That'll preach. How many hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people are in bondage? Only 42,000 chose to go back when they could. Bondage is hard. Sometimes we get comfortable in our junk. We get comfortable in our bondages. It's easy. I don't want to fast. I just want to eat. I don't want to fast. I want to keep up with my drugs and my alcohol, my porn, whatever it might be, or my internet or my social media. I don't want to do that because that's hard on my... I'll just stay here. I'm comfortable here. I'm comfortable in this place. I'm getting my unemployment check. I've got a good job or whatever it might be. I've got plenty of money. We get comfortable and we don't want to make a change. But see, we've got to see the big picture. Let me tell you, what we're doing is for our children and grandchildren. 
That's what we're doing is for our children. And we're not praying for Impact Church today. We're praying for the future. We're praying for those kids that, are, that were back there at that table. That's who we're praying for. That's who we're concerned about. We're praying for that Lazarus generation that we're calling forth to wake up. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah, for they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Why was this a big deal? The temple was rebuilt. What was the big deal? Well, walls represent things in the scripture. And when there are no walls, it represents poverty. It represents shame. It's an open target for the enemy. It represents disgrace. It represents victimization. It means that we are defenseless. We are defenseless. Walls provided protection and dignity. And God needed somebody to take charge and get it fixed. Just like he needs somebody today to take charge and get things fixed. He needs the church to rise up and be the church. That's who it is. So he's calling people that are, that are no names. They're not big deal preachers. They're not big deal politicians. They're little deal us, me and you. They just go out and touch the life of one person. One by one, we bring them in. One by one, we take them out of bondage. One by one, we pray for them. One by one, they get healed and they see the power and the glory of God. A city without walls was also a disgrace to God, especially God's city, because it meant his people were defenseless, basically, to the enemy. But God needed a heart who could understand his heart. See, that's why back in the spring, I kept hearing, pray for the people to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I kept hearing that over and over and over. You know, it's out of the book of Revelation. Pray that people will see and hear what God is saying. And that was, been, that was our prayer, and it still is our prayer. God, open our eyes to see what you see, to see the big picture, not to get caught up in the little junk, the strife, the discord. We don't want to win the battle and lose the war, do we? And that's what the devil wants you to keep be all consumed with the battle, and then you're going to lose the war. God needs a heart. He needs hearts of his people. I want to ask us, how distraught are we over the condition of what we see going on in our nation? How distraught are we? You think about the devil walks around like a roaring lion looking for a way to slip in, right? How distraught are we when we see people broken and lost and hurting and oppressed? How, dis- how distraught are we? Well, they just get what they deserve. I guess they should have known better. They've been taught better than that. Thank God he didn't have that attitude about me. Let me tell you, he could have flushed me many times. Many times. What do we think about when we see our cities undergoing crime and violence? People being murdered needlessly. Abuse. People discriminate against because their skin color is different. What do we, does that bother us? It should bother us. As brothers and sisters, we're all the same. What would happen if one of your children was discriminated? You just let some come home from school and say, Johnny's been bullying me. What are you, more than your mama bear all of a sudden, right? You're going to go to school and you're going to tear that kid apart, right? But we don't get, do we get that disturbed about one of our brothers and sisters here? We should. What did Nehemiah do? And I want us to look at verse 4. The Lord really blew this out to me this, this week. As many times as I've ministered on, on 4, but it says, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. When's the last time we wept over our city? When's the last time we wept over our schools? And then he said, In fact... I didn't just weep, I mourned. I didn't just weep, I mourned. And then he said, and I fasted and I prayed 
to the God of heaven. So this is what happened when Nehemiah got there. I want to ask us, have we done these things? Number one, have we sat down and wept or have we just kept on going? Have we stopped life and wept for those that are hurting, that are that are broken? Have you, has the Lord awakened you at 2 and 3 in the morning to pray for those who are lost, your family members, your church family? Yes, I see a lot of him. He's doing that these days, by the way. You know, 3 to 5 is that, that prayer window where there's warfare that's going on. I can't tell you how many times I hear people say, I'm awakened at three every morning. God's doing that. See, we've got to, we've got to care about more than what, what just affects us. And then it says, Nehemiah mourned. See, mourning is not just pain, but it also includes guilt and shame with it. Guilt and shame. It's a recognition that problems are because of our own sins. We're mourning because of our own sins. We put ourselves here. We resisted God. It's that awareness of why we're where we're at. See, that's the first step in repentance. If we keep blaming mom and dad and everything else and the government and all these other things and all these bad laws, there's been a lot of bad laws passed. There's been a lot of bad moms and dads, right? But if we keep blaming them, we're never going to move forward. We're never going to move forward. So he mourned. And then it says, then he fasted. As I told you a moment ago, it's a time in context was a deliberate removal of food from one's life, but it was a stepping away from the entanglements of the world and focusing on God. What is entangling your life? You have to answer that for yourself. That's why I said, let's spend 40 days preparing for the 40 days. And I'm saying, God, show me. I I told him last night, I went and got a new journal just to start my 40-day prayers and fasting journal so I can write in there. I'm just writing. and And the Lord told me, he said, I want you to write. Don't type it. For me, I had to do that. And if you see my writing, you know, I write in tongues. But I'm, I can read it usually. I'm trying to write real real slow, real careful. But for some reason, God wanted me to handwrite my, my adventures through my journal, through my fasting, I mean. So, so we need to pull ourselves away and, and decide what it is that we need to come unentangled with. It could be activities. It could be just entertainment. That There's nothing wrong with these things, but is it robbing our time? And then it says, Nehemiah prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah went to God, his helper. See, Nehemiah knew who to go to. Nehemiah also knew who God was. He was a God of covenant. God needed a heart that would have his heart. I want to ask you, you, does God have your heart or do you have the heart of God? See, he didn't need a religious person. He needed a person who was a David type, who was after God's heart. God, I just want to, I want to feel what you feel. I want to, I want to love what you love. I want to hate what you hate. When the pastors weep over the city, like Nehemiah wept over Jerusalem, that's what the Lord told me. When the pastors of this city weep over this city, like Nehemiah wept over Jerusalem, you're going to see revival and transformation. It's not going to happen any other way. It's not going to happen through programs. It's not going to happen through concerts. When we're on our face and we're weeping for our city, that's when we're going to see transformation. And then verse 5, it said, Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps this covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commandments, listen to my prayer. He was calling out to God. He says, look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. Do you think he was detached? I guess he must have got a leave of absence and been cupbearer. Or he was praying always as he was moving around. You know, you can pray in the spirit, right? You can pray as as you're going through life. And then he said, listen to my prayer. 
look down and see me praying daily. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. See, not only did he repent for his own sins, he repented for the sins of his family. Instead of blaming the family, he was repenting for the family. See, we need to, we need to repent. And that's going to cause a lot of forgiveness towards some things that are, that are in the past. Quit blaming, quit pointing the finger, start repenting and start forgiving. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the command. See, he, he puts a nail on it. He says, this is why we're where we're at. We haven't obeyed the word of God. The nation is where it's at because of the condition of the church. The church has not obeyed the word. The nation has not obeyed the world, word. As the church goes, so goes our nation. When we allow the, the attitudes of the world into the church, we become like the church and not like, I mean, we become like the world and not like the, the world becoming like the church. That's the way it's supposed to go. We have not, not obeyed the commands of the creeds, the regulations you gave us through your servant Moses. In other words, the Torah, the, the, the words of God, the, the word of God, the law of God. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. Listen, he's remembering covenant too. If you're faithful to me, I'll scatter you among, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. God means what he says. God means, so Nehemiah called on God and he repented. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that's fasting, and pray, seeking God, seek his face, turn from their wicked ways. That's what repentance is. It's not just, oops, sorry. No, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's having that abhorrence because we develop the mind of God. The things we used to do, we don't want to do anymore. He says, I'm going to hear from heaven. I'll forgive your sin and I'll heal the land. God is for this nation, let me tell you. And I believe a remnant church can turn this nation around. I believe it with all my heart. And I'm telling you, I believe there's a lot of people, a lot of people that love God and a lot of churches that love God are praying for our nation. And then in verse 9 it says, but if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, that's different. Not only do you hear the word, but you obey the word. You live by my commands. You don't know what they were. Go back to the Ten Commandments. They're still just as applicable today. Jesus kind of summed it all up. You love God, you love me. That's all you need to do, really. If you love God, you're going to be obedient. If you love others, what are you going to do? If I love you like I love me, then I'm not going to do anything that hurts you. I'm not going to take from you. I'm not going to lie about you. I'm not going to overpower you with my pride. I'm going to prefer you. He summed it all up. Love God, love others, and that's all you need to do. He made it real simple. But if you return to me and obey my commands that live by them, then even if you are exalted to the ends, excuse me, exiled to the exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. There's a place in Deuteronomy, and I, can't, I should have looked this up. I can't remember exactly where it is. It says, "But when you get to the, or when you get to that place that you're going, God prophesies to them. He says you're going to start chasing other gods. You're going to do everything you shouldn't be doing. But He says, but in that place." If you turn and you return, he says, I'll remember my covenant with you. God knew they were going to sin, but he says, in that place of rejection and disobedience, if you return to me, I'm going to remember my covenant with you. The same thing applies to this nation today. If this nation returns, if our, if our churches return, if people return, regardless of what's happened in your life, I don't care what you've done before today, all we have to do is return to God. He says, I'm going to remember my covenant. Everything I ever promised you is still yours. God's not like people. He doesn't hold it over our head, right? Oh God, listen. Hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you.
please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. So Nehemiah remembered his covenant and he also requested favor of God. Let me tell you, if you don't remember the covenant, you're going to have a hard time requesting from God because the devil's going to beat you up to make you think you don't deserve anything. If you're not remembering his promises, if you're not remembering his grace and his mercy, it's going to be very difficult for you to say, God, bring this favor upon me. It's going to be very difficult for you to believe that God could use someone like you. I know from experience. The devil's always there to tell you everything you've ever done, right? So if you don't remember the covenant, you're going to have a very difficult time walking in what God has got for you to walk in today. It's important that we remember who God is. Everyone, you need to memorize the names of God. If you don't do anything else in this fast, memorize the names of God. We'll make them available if we're not back there already. That he is the healer. You don't have to know the Hebrew names. Just know the English names. He's my healer. He's my provider. He's my righteousness. He's my sanctifier. He's my victory. He's my peace. He's ever present. That's all. That's what he says. This is how you can know me. This is how you can know me. Understand the word. Stay in the word. Understand what God's promises are to you. We have to believe. But Nehemiah requested God's favor and God sent him a plan. Don't you love God's plans? The thing is, when God sends a plan, he does, you know, the, sometimes the difficult thing is he doesn't let everybody else know he sent it to you. <laughs> if you're in leadership. Terry, he, he's always teasing me. He said, you'll just get up and say something. He said, but I've been married to you long enough to know you've been thinking about it for about six months. <laughs> but I just kind of don't talk about it, you know. That's that INTJ um, personality profile. We kind of, we process internally and then we release it where the, the other, the ENTJ is going to, they're going to talk about it all out here the whole time they're doing it. And it takes both of us, right? But sometimes we just ponder things and God will say something. We'll ponder it. We'll think about it. We'll pray about it. We'll read and we'll search scripture for it. And then we finally get convinced this is what God wants to do. And then pow, it's like, you just, you just thinking about that today? No, I've been thinking about it for months. How many is like that? Anybody besides me? Yeah. Yes. There are people like that. That's right. Huh? And then there's the rest of them. Yeah. Verse 11 says, so I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. Do you see the wisdom that Nehemiah has? You know, he could have thought, well, you know, I'm a nobody here. I'm a king's cupbearer. I'm not even a priest. I'm not even, you know, I'm not even a prophet. How are these people going to listen to me? But he says, I go into the city. And he says, I slipped out through the night and I took a few with me. But this is very important. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. Sometimes... We can talk so much that we give the devil a heads up on what God is doing in our life. And you know what that, you know, the devil can't read your mind. So if you're so quick to tell, oh, let me tell you what God said to me today. This is what I'm going to do. Well, you haven't even thought the thing out yet. How's God going to speak it to you? I mean, how's he going to plan it through you? I mean, you know, and so what's the devil? Did you hear this? We got to get here. We got to get in here and intercept this. This is what God is doing. We got to be careful with that. He said, I told no one what my God had placed in my heart to do. He says, and then on verse 16, it says, the city officials did not know that I had been out there. See, the city officials didn't even know. He was planning this without all the big shots. He was planning it without all the big shots. Let me tell you, when God tells you to do something, you just wait on God to bring the people he wants to be a part of it, right? We've, we've learned that lesson, haven't we? We've learned that lesson. You think everybody wants to do this. Well, they want to get in there and get their piece of the pie is what it amounts to. So... 
No city officials knew. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish. The church didn't even know it. Now, here's this little guy slipping into town, got a big plan from God. The church doesn't know about it, and the politicians don't know about it. Only he and God know about it, and the few that he's chosen. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, but you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, guys, we got a problem here. You know very well the situation. And I have a feeling during that four months that God, uh, that Nehemiah was seeking God, that he was working on people, handpicking people in Jerusalem to work with Nehemiah, that he was opening their eyes to see the seriousness of the situation. You got to be very careful when you're doing something for God that you don't take on the wrong people. They mean well, they're precious people, but if they don't see the vision, you're going to get yourself in trouble. You're going to get yourself in trouble. And I will add, people will identify themselves. People will identify themselves. Good and bad. Okay, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. So he had a plan, an action plan. We're going to rebuild the wall. We're going to end this disgrace. It seemed insurmountable. First of all, they had nobody working with them that meant anything. He said, then I told them about how gracious the hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Let me tell you, we're in this place where God is saying it's time to rebuild. It's rebuilding our schools. Well, don't we need to go to the superintendent? No, we're not going to go to the superintendent. We're going to take a few people. We're going to go out and we're going to scout the area and we're going to pray and we're going to do what God has called us to do. What about our, our city government? No, we don't need really need them involved. We're just going to go do what God has told us to do. We're going to pray. We're going to seek God's face. We're not going to cause an upright riot. We're not going to riot. We're not going to put banners and signs up. We're just going to quietly do what God has told us to do. And we're going to wait and see the hand of God move. So there was a call to action. I want you to think about your family. You know, it's not just about the government. It's not just about our cities. What about your family? That's where it begins. It begins with us individually. How many generational curses need to be broken? See, every generational curse in your law, in your life is a wall that's torn down. We used to have a, a well, we actually called our Luke 418 at one time, restoring the foundations, rebuilding the walls. See, generational curses have plagued your family maybe for years. And what happens is the walls fall. And then we see these patterns of behavior. We see violence. We see addiction. We see multiple marriages. We see immorality. We see, you know, just lawlessness. In our, in our, I'm talking about our families. And we see patterns of this. I sat with this young guy yesterday, or, or Thursday, I think it was, 31. Just got, he, just, he said at 11 he was in training school for the first time. Then at 13 he was in there again. And then at 16, he was sent to prison for 10 years for attempted murder. And this is all this guy's known. And so I said, so tell me about how you were raised, mom and dad. You know, I always say that. He said, well, my mom said, we all, we had this huge house and I have six uncles and they lived with us and all of my cousins lived there. And he said, and I said, how was it? And he said, well, they just drank and fought all the time. You know, kind of like normal people. That's what he said, like normal people. And I said, that's normal? He said, well, it's normal to me. So he spent all his life in this big house with uncles and cousins fighting. And is it any wonder this poor kid was in a detention center twice in prison for 10 years? But he said, I'm ready to get my life changed. 
telling you, you never know who you're going to walk by. Now, let me tell you one thing. Most Christians would not give this guy the time of the day by looking at him. He was covered all over in tattoos from head to toe. He had a mask on. I finally said, would you please take your mask off? I want to look at your face. Good looking guy. Smart guy. See, there's those kind of people that we walk by every single day. And if we've got the love of God and an expectation, God, lead me to those people. Just give me an opportunity to speak to them, just to share the love. You might be one tiny seed that's in a row of of seeds that God wants planted before it gets over here to Kevin and he gets a chance to lower the boom, (laughs) so to speak. See, some plants, some water, but God always gives the increase. Why would we ever think that someone is not worthy of our time? We see, we get so caught up in life, so busy with things. We don't have time for that. I'm excited when God brings somebody like that. But we need a heart like Nehemiah. We need a heart that'll stop, that'll mourn, that'll fast, and that'll pray. We need a heart that's not filled with pride and self-centeredness and self-focus. Alan Redpath said some things about the spiritual truths that are revealed in Nehemiah. I think he originated this. I've had this in my notes for a long time, but I, I think it's so good. I want you to think about this as you go through the, the days and the weeks ahead. These are spiritual truths in Nehemiah. There's no winning without working and warring. There is no winning without working and warring. If it doesn't cost you something, it's not worth anything, let me tell you. Have you seen that in life? Somebody wants to give you something free, it's usually not worth anything, Right? No opportunity without opposition. There's no opportunity without opposition. Just because that guy flopped down in my office last week doesn't mean the enemy's not going to be after him. You know, there was supposed to be somebody else here today, and I pray, God, don't let the enemy get there. And obviously something happened. This person has had three deaths, drug overdoses in her family in the last, since March. She's coming. She's coming. That's right. So there's no opportunity without opposition. There's no triumph without trouble. There's no victory without vigilance. There's no open door without adversaries. I'm reminded in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, where Paul said, a wide door for effective work has opened to me, but there are many adversaries. Let me tell you, if God opens the door of ministry for you, you better believe there's going to be adversaries. But you know what? Greater is he that's in us, right? There is a cross in the way of every crown that is worth wearing. There's a cross in the way of every crown that is worth wearing. And he goes on to say, for whenever the people of God say, let us arise and build, Satan says, let us arise and oppose. If you know the book of Nehemiah, I want you to read that book. It's powerful. But if you know the book of Nehemiah, you'll see as soon as he started building, what happened? Opposition came. Opposition came. His fame, I love his famous line. I use it all the time. I'm not, I'm too busy to come off this wall and deal with you, basically. Because there's going to be people that are constantly trying to pull at you to try to steal things from you. You're too busy. You don't have time to come down off the wall and do what? Deal with the enemy. He's a loser. He's already defeated, right? Matthew eleven twelve. Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist to now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Wayne, don't you love war? 
James 1, 2 says, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. That is a sobering scripture. The way is wide that leads to destruction. But the way is narrow that leads to life. What does that mean? It means there's some self-denying going on. We're picking up our cross, bearing our cross, denying ourselves. But I want to leave us with a couple of great scriptures. And I just quoted one, Romans 8, 37. In the midst of all these things, regardless of what we see, regardless of what we look at, regardless of all the horrible news that's going on, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors, and His demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. Colossians 2.15 says, Then Jesus made us public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness. you think the devil has a little trauma going on with him? He made a public spectacle, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. If the devil's talking to you, he's lying, right? If he's talking, he's lying. When you hear something you can't, you say, yes, I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're never going to overcome. I am more than a conqueror. You're going to lose it all. My God supplies all of my needs. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. He was not. You know, in those times, in in those Roman days, what would happen is when a king captured a city or whatever, they would make the enemy parade down the street just to expose them. And that's what this is referring to. How many like a, how many like a battle? Is anybody in here besides a couple? You like a battle? I want all you warriors to stand up. If you don't like a battle, we're going to pray for you to like one. I said it earlier between worship and this time. Keep your heart clean before God. Who's going to stand before God? Those who have a clean heart and pure pure hands. Keep your heart clean. You know, we're people. Sometimes we rub each other wrong, don't we? Sometimes we say or think or do things, and sometimes we misperceive things. Even even as wonderful as he is, sometimes I just want to, you know. But I'll tell him I forgive him. (laughs) He gives me opportunity for forgiveness many times. Not really, not really. But we do, don't we? I mean, we misread things sometimes. And, you know, we don't want to walk around in offense and we don't want to walk around in pride and arrogancy. We don't want to walk around with my way is the right way. No, God's way is the right way. There's only one way and that's His way. So I'm just going to add, I'm just going to pray over us today. If you need prayer for anything else, you can come up after we close. Uh, you know, people keep asking me about the offering. Well, the baskets are back there. Just go to it, you know. <laughs> Offering is holy unto God, right? You guys know what to do. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you for your presence today. God, I thank you for the word. I thank you for Nehemiah as a great example in my personal life and the life of your people, Father. 
I thank you, Father God, that you have called us for such a time as this. And you don't call the mighty. You don't call the super religious. You call those who have a heart for you. God, your people standing here have a heart for you. God, I pray that you would just go through our heart, Lord, and just sift our heart, Lord, and show us anything in our lives that might be a hindrance. God, we're not afraid of that because we know you reveal to heal. You don't reveal to condemn. So, God, I thank you, Lord, that you would allow Holy Spirit to open up our eyes to see. God, it's against you and you only that we have sinned. And, God, I thank you for repentance. I thank you that we can come to you and repent. First John 1, 9, Lord, you tell us that if we repent, you're faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. God, what an incredible promise. You said it's by our faith that we overcome the evils of this world. And our faith is not in us, it's in you. God, I pray that the eyes of our heart would be open to hear and to see the word of God like never before during this time, this season. God, we're never going back. We're not going back. Father, I thank you that you have so many incredible things in store for your people, that you've got destinies yet that are lying dormant. They need to be called forth. And God, we call them forth to the people here today. God, I thank you that you give them boldness to make those changes that, that you're asking them to make. And God, you ask, you don't demand. Give the people strength and boldness to make those changes, Lord. God, I pray that we have the understanding of who we are, that we know who we are in you, God. We walk in the identity as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Nothing can overpower us. Nothing can overtake us, Lord. God, we so need your wisdom. Thank you, Lord, that you said if we ask, you give to us liberally. God, thank you for that. We love you, Lord. We praise you. I pray for every person here, every person listening. I thank you, Father God, that we begin to walk as a new person even today. We're different than we were at 10 o'clock this morning. Thank you, God. We're leaving everything behind. We don't care what happened yesterday or even at 10 o'clock this morning. God, we're new people. We're new creation, God. We're empowered new and fresh. God, and we walk with our head high because we're children of God. And we're going to do that that you've called us to do. And God, we're not going to go out and tell the enemy about it. God, we're just going to quietly be about our Father's business. So, Lord, we thank you and we bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Don't forget Wednesday, 630, okay? I'll send it.